centralization and consolidation of our food systems is unfolding. If you are going to be dependent and rely on Bill Gates, other foreign national, basically corporations and governments dictate to what you will have access to as far as nutrition and health, then I think you're going to be, you're not going to be happy in this life. And this is not a judgment. I tell everybody, day one, get over it. This is about saving children's lives. Okay, welcome back to the Regenerative Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Max Coolhane. In this episode, I'm speaking with Texas Slim. Now, Slim is a food sovereignty activist and founder of the decentralized beef supply movement, the Beef Initiative. I met Slim in Albury back in February this year at uh, Walkie Farm, and we align very closely in our goals of encouraging people to meet their farmer as a means of improving food transparency and access. Slim has spoken extensively about the threats of industrialization and corporatization of food systems um, in depleting soils um, and in terms of people's access to nutrient-dense beef. So in this podcast, we talk about the industrial agricultural system um, and the processed food industry, which are intimately tied to a medical system that profits from managing and medicating chronic diseases rather than educating people to help reverse their conditions. We also talk about the mindset and lifestyle shift required to move from uh, as a passive consumer of processed food diet and eventual customer of the pharmaceutical-based care model to an active and informed consumer that understands the importance and the centrality of high-quality ruminant meat to optimal health. If you're enjoying the podcast, then um, I'd really appreciate uh, any reviews on the podcast platforms uh, and any shares with friends. And if you want to learn more about what I'm up to, head to my new website, drmaxcoolhane.com. So thank you. And now on to the episode. It's because I think you are one of the very few people who are who are actually seeing the whole picture um, from the individual level all the way up to a very, very broad societal level. And I think about the commoditization of the food supply here in Australia. Whenever I fly domestically um, from Albury uh, around Sydney, Melbourne, uh, or anywhere else, we, especially around this time of year, um, you can just see fields of yellow and they stand out because I imagine that no, no previous time in nature would you have, you know, a hundred acres of simply yellow flower. Just, just, just by itself, or, or in in constellation like a, a quilt patchwork with with other fields, and this is canola. This is this is a, a rapeseed which was um, selectively bred to be you know low in erucic acid, so that it would be so it wouldn't kill people when they ingested it. But uh, and and I talked to a, an agronomist, uh, David Bushell, about the amount of agricultural input that canola fields need to basically exist and it, it really reminds you of of something that nature didn't really doesn't want to exist naturally because the amount of chemical that needs spraying on it um to to simply allow it to survive is is enormous so it, it i think it's really emblematic of where we are collectively and and i know in the u.s you guys have massive tracts of corn and soy field but uh, these these kind of crops, which which you've called false commodities, really emblematic of the disconnect of people and their food. And when when we're growing these crops and then turning that into a processed food product, because they, they inevitably become, uh, you know, the Twinkies, they become the Krispy Kreme donuts, they become the French fries, they become all all the kinds of junk food that are responsible for what you what you've mentioned is metabolic bankruptcy of of your country then we can see pretty quickly that um this is a whole constellation of factors that are playing against um playing against people yes 100 percent. and and thank you for bringing that up and this is a good this is a kind of a good segment that i'll go through here because it gives really good perspective and you bring up rapeseed, and when I invited myself in the harvest company, I believe we've talked about that. And I went in and you know did a lot of research on the chemical and the grain companies in the United States. And I was up in uh, the northern part of the United States, up in the Dakotas, and you know you had wheat farmers; their crops were not being grown 
Rapeseed, of course, was outlawed by the FDA in 1956 for any form of human consumption through the genetically modification and the bioengineering of the rapeseed itself. It's where it wouldn't kill you, you know, and this is what people need to understand that rapeseed is a weed. It's a toxic weed that is now one of the biggest fake commodities that we consume across this planet. And by that simple fact is that if you if you can basically insert that fake commodity in every highly processed food product, how much money are they making off one seed, one fake commodity, whenever they can basically inject it in almost every food product that we now consume? You know, why is it that McDonald's started off with tallow, suet, animal fat to fry their French fries, and then they they transferred into basically a fake commodity of vegetable oil, which is canola oil. Well, that was because of the the influence, the regulatory capture within the USDA, the agricultural systems of the United States. And you look at the United States and how they've basically, you know, there's now 26 countries, I believe, that will not allow American food into its borders because of the genetically modified and because of the bioengineering. And then you look at the corn and the soy that you bring up, and we use a lot of that corn and soy to feed a lot of our animal protein, our cattle, our hogs, our poultry. Well, those seeds in which we are growing are just as bad as those grape seeds. They're genetically modified. They've destroyed our soil. The amount of agricultural uh, inputs as far as herbicides, pesticides, you know, everything that is involved to orchestrate the, the harvest of a genetically modified seed is devastating. And then that seed is now fed to our, our animals. Well, that, that is something that is, is, is not bad within itself. And the reason that people go into you know, grass-fed, grass-finished beef is because of that simple fact of how they've basically hijacked an input that, you know, cows have been eating since the beginning of time. And if you look at the United States and our cattle basically consuming that genetically modified seed, that seed and everything, the inputs that are required to, to raise that cow – and that's what the humans are consuming as well. And that's the, one of the reasons the Beef Initiative was formed is to get back into the regenerative input protocols, the input protocols that are required from a regenerative process to basically bring our soil back, bring our health back by producing really strong and clean uh, animal proteins. And this is the shift that we have to perform, but we also have to perform it into the consumer's mindset first. And everybody wants change, change, change. It goes back to the individual. Whenever I say a global industrial food shift, we have now governments that are fighting across the global industrial food systems to basically take in any type of resource they can to feed their populations. There's a food war going on on the global scale. And whenever I was in Australia, you know, Australia is a bellwether. You guys are seeing this. You have very little market access to your number one animal protein in Australia is lamb. And look what they're doing to lamb right now. So that's part of this global industrial food shift. And if everybody out there is still going to rely on the system that is now going through a shift in a way that we saw in the 70s in the United States, they are going to have basically animal proteins and pure, clean, nutritional food. They're not going to have market access to that food until they take intentional actions to recognize that this is just not in Australia. This is just not in Texas. This is just not in the United States nor Canada. This is the whole Western hemisphere is going through this industrial food shift. But once again, it's up to the individual to educate themselves and to start with their health. This is a health initiative that the, you know, that I founded as far as the beef initiative. It's a great American health initiative being led by the great American rancher. And we're trying to get this spread all across the globe because this is a global problem. And if we don't really wake up as consumers 
And as parents and as people that lead in our communities, we're, our food system will change forever and it'll be too late. Yeah. And look, the thing that really sums up for me this super, the super profits, I guess, economic super profits that get made from an industrial food system is comparing a equivalent amount of uh, canola oil to the same amount of ghee or, or grass-fed butter or grass-fed tallow. And if you look at the amount of, of food in those two equivalent amounts, maybe half a litre, and the cost difference between those two, that explains so much about why the, the industrial food system is is so profitable. And and like you said, um, in the US it's and in Australia, but maybe less so, these these crops are being fed to animals, and that is that is um, making these animals, especially the the monogastric animals like pigs and chickens, it, they have a higher level of of linoleic acid and polyunsaturated fatty acids in their tissue because of their consuming this diet that is that's rich in in grains uh you said a, a bit earlier you mentioned um you you described the this industrial food uh complex as a medical pharmaceutical agricultural complex can you break that concept down for the for the listener because i think it would really help for them to understand what what are the players involved in delivering or industrializing um, the food and presenting this highly processed food to people that it, that is contributing to their disease. Sure, and I like to use diabetes as a really good example. You know, diabetes used to be called sugar diabetes, and of course they changed that name. And throughout the last, I would say, of course, fifty years, because it's all in this fit since nineteen seventy one, whenever monocropping and agricultural complex. But what we've done in the United States now for the for the population in the United States is either pre-diabetic or diabetic. Okay. That's a medical, you know, uh, consensus. This is happening. Some of Americans in the United States are now either pre-diabetic or diabetic. This is a new phenomenon. Okay. The medical community has no problem diagnosing diabetes. They are basically knee-jerking into something that they don't have an approach. The medical community in the United States of America has no approach or no protocol to basically do pre-treatment or to basically, all they have is reactionary care. Okay, what is the reactionary care of the medical complex? Well, it's insulin, okay? All right, who's making the insulin? Well, that's the pharmaceutical complex. Okay, we just saw what happened during this uh, this uh, mass marketing, global marketing plan of COVID. Okay, who made money off of all these vaccinations? Well, that was the pharmaceutical complex. Okay, who makes money off of people being diabetic in the United States? Our population are now diabetic or pre-diabetic. Well, it's the pharmaceutical complex. Well, how do they make money off of diabetes? Well, insulin. Okay, if you break down insulin care for the individual, that's $900 a month to be on insulin in the United States. Okay, the pharmaceutical complex creates insulin. Every one of them out there. Do you think the United States citizens are the ones that are for that insulin? No. Well, Who's paying for that? Well, that's a subsidized pharmaceutical product that basically the government subsidizes. And so we can inject half of American population with insulin because they're either pre-diabetic or diabetic. Okay, well, how did they get there? Well, they got through through our agricultural decisions that happened after the 1970s or during the 1970s when we went from a highly, highly saturated, high-protein diet that basically really gave the power to our as a nation into the food pyramid. Everybody's seen the food pyramid, and that is saturated with highly processed carbohydrates and grains. Okay, who did that? Well, that was the agricultural complex. That's whenever we started monocropping all of our soil in the United States to either basically feed these fake commodities into our animal proteins as far as cows and hogs and poultry, or that 
agricultural complex that basically changed our food system and created copious amounts of new highly processed grain uh, food systems. Okay, what else did they do? Well, high fructose corn syrup. It is never ending the amount of highly processed agricultural supplements that we've now introduced. So you have the medical agriculture, pharmaceutical agricultural complex working in unison, and it's a circle of basically ill health that does not lead to regeneration of health, but it leads to dependency upon the medical, pharmaceutical, agricultural complex that keeps you in that 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 will. And it's the will of death, I call it. Because if you're dependent upon the medical community to say, hey, I'm diabetic, how can I quit being diabetic? If you look at all the, the documentation and all of the protocols for diabetes in America, they're still not on the same page of eliminating highly processed foods out of your diet and going to a more animal protein, animal fat, basically consumption model. And so why are they doing that? Well, they're dependent upon the pharmaceutical industry. Well, who's the pharmaceutical industry dependent on? Well, the inputs. Who's the input? That's an agricultural complex. And so if you do not understand as individual, you know, what are the risks? Why are you going through insulin spikes? Why are you hungry every four hours? Why are you always snacking? That's a new type of consumption model that has happened over my lifetime. I eat one or two times a day. Never hungry. My horse consumption model is heavy, 80 to 90 percent of animal proteins and animal fats. And once again, it's perspective. How did we get here? How did it? How did it transpire? Well, it transpired by fake commodities, pharmaceutical systems that are basically, you know, engineering a protocol of injection throughout the globe, and then agricultural complex is now dependent on yields profit margins. And so really it, it doesn't lead to solutions. It leads into more of a demise. Yeah. And look, Diabetes Australia is just beginning to recognize low carbohydrate uh, diets to ma- to manage well to to treat and hopefully reverse type two diabetes. And I think that that a shift is occurring not because from any top-down uh, impetus. It's simply because the bottom-up impetus from people who have reversed their prediabetes and have um, come off insulin and reversed their disease using low-carb uh, and animal animal protein has been so uh, overwhelming that um, it would be impossible for them not to recognize that as, as a legitimate approach, which the scientific uh, trial data as well backs up very, very robustly that low-carb and, and a ketogenic approach is very valid for for reversing um, diabetes. And to me, that just speaks to the the, the cause of, of the problem, which is your high-carb processed food food diet and in in part. The the I, I love it how you thanks for breaking that that down for us. And I think a lot of people aren't um, realizing or they're not cognizant of all the industrial players um, who have a stake in their disease. And what you describe is really a, it's a disease dependency cycle. And just as a drug dealer has a financial stake in people being addicted to drug, to the crack cocaine that they're selling, it's really a corporatized, um, dressed up version of simply the same concept. and. You you did an excellent breakdown of these these entities that are kind of profit profit get, gathering entities that make money on the system that that is highly industrialized and that is connected between the pharmaceutical industry, the the disease and sickness industry, the agricultural industry, um, and I guess the processed food industry as well. They all they all seem to be converging. Well, they have aligned interests that converge on keeping people sick and, and simply managing their chronic diseases rather than reversing them. And that's that's something that I see quite commonly in diseases you know, that in my clinical practice is it's called a chronic disease management plan, quite literally. It's not, it's not a chronic disease reversal plan. 
It is a chronic disease management plan. And that management plan involves the pharmacist. It involves a whole bunch of allied health professionals. It involves a whole team of people that are required to um, help care for someone who has, um, you know, end-stage diabetes. I mean, if we think about someone who has end-stage metabolic disease with insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes, they, they have multiple organ systems that are affected. They've got renal impairment. They might be on dialysis because they've got such severe diabetic nephropathy. They've got um, vision issues They've got because they've got diabetic retinopathy. They need to see podiatrists and um uh and vascular surgeons because the blood flow to their extremities is so compromised that they get recurrent ulcers um and they have constant neuropathic pain so the 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 constellation of resources that is required to care for someone who has at the end stage of that consumption model that you've described slim is enormous so i don't think it's not like we're not describing some kind of kind of conspiracy of any means. This is simple looking at the component parts that are involved in uh, caring for someone who has lived a lifestyle that you've described since since the 1970s. It's really good perspective. I mean, you could go down that laundry list of you know problems and issues that is is caused. And, and whenever we look at the food, going back to the beginning of this conversation, you know, food was not highly profitable before the 70s. It was based on survival. Food was not overly convenient before the 70s. It was based on survival. Food basically was not engineered just to taste good with fake chemicals and fake commodities. And so I always ask people, you know, if you're really concerned about your health, if you really believe that this that a life well lived is is through health. Health is wealth, wealth is health. Once again, that perspective has changed. If you're serious about understanding and wanting to engineer your health, then why do you desire what you desire? It's a simple question. And, you know, with me, what I do, and I tell everybody, this is not a judgment because, you know, we talk about obesity. We talk about people that are sick and everybody, you know, in the United States, we've had a form of social engineering that, you know, if you if you discuss somebody's body image or if they're, you know, if they're unhealthy, then that's an attack. And once again, that social engineering that's been engineered into our mindsets through a centralized media control and content and communication flow. So if you really are going to get to the bottom of everything, why do you desire what you desire within food? It's pretty easy to break down. And most people will say, well, because it tastes good. Well, that taste is now being engineered through science. It's not being engineered through the soil. It's not being engineered through a natural taste. It's being engineered through an artificial taste. And so you, if you break down what I just said, okay, if you want to live a natural life or do you want to live basically a chemical engineered life? And this is what they're doing and, and this is what a lot of people are not aware of. Yeah, and, and we talked to our, our friend uh, Jake Wolke, a regenerative farmer, and he looked into – the brief of the commodity chicken producers here in Australia. And their corporate strategy was to produce meat that was soft and bland or moist and bland and re reflecting this idea that the essence of, of nutrient-dense food and the, the characteristic flavor and taste was being dispensed with in favor of, of, of a very bland product that then could be fitted in into any kind of consumption model to f please everyone um, and really facilitate and enable really large volume, um, huge amount of um, industrial uh, output. The The other point that I, that I want to make is it seems to be that the expansion of this model of, of creating customers from a pharmaceutical point of view as a result of um, processed food addiction, and there is the light component, which I'm delving into more 
uh, as well. But um, you think about, especially in the US, the expansion of drugs like um, semag- semaglutide, um, azempic, to younger and younger people. And you mentioned that there's been uh, a push to kind of make comments about body image taboo because it is part, in my mind, of normalizing obesity um, and normalizing the fact that this is an inevitable part of living and that everyone is simply going to get obese uh, and that's normal. But you, therefore, the next step is to normal, the next normal step is to take an injectable GLP-1 agonist to, um, to help you lose weight. So, and that's, you know, the push is younger and younger, younger patients. So it seems like there's a kind of an endless quest towards expanding the customer base. And that includes, you know, pediatric indications or um, expansion of pediatric use for some of these weight loss medications, which is bizarre and quite um, quite um, repulsive in my mind, because the solution to these problems isn't an injectable medication. It's getting back to fully grass-fed animal protein and animal fat um, getting away from their blue lit screens and going outside. I mean, <laughs> this is the the state that we're kind of getting to collectively. We really are, and you know, it is. It's a cover up. And why? You know, look at the look at the industrialization industrialization of our food, which required highly processing, to where you could basically create additives to supplement. Okay, your food should never be supplemented with anything. It should be dense, just like you said. Your animal protein should be dense, and and it it always was. In the United States, you go in and buy poultry now, and a chicken breast is, you know, the size of a football. Well, that's not a real chicken. Once again, perspective, right? And what what do they get? Well, how do you get that chicken? Well, it's by weight. Okay, well, how many chemicals are in that chicken? How many steroids are in that chicken? How many antibiotics are in that chicken? How many fake, how many chemicals are in that chicken? Because, you know, they say it's required because of the type of processing and industrialization of the bird. You know, it's never ending. So if you cannot accept the fact that these multinational corporations, and there's very few multinational corporations that control basically all of the food across this planet. You, there, and, you know, I, I told you before we started this podcast that I was going to share a link with you that's a downloadable PDF. It's basically an ebook of everything that we have as far as a global agri-food atlas. And it is basically describing how they are going towards a one-world food group. What does that mean? Less choices, less nutrition, higher profits for those multinational corporations. You know, you and I could sit here for a month and not quit talking about all of the issues. Okay, when is it, does the individual take a step back and say, yeah, there's something wrong what is going on right now is that it's socially engineered into the mindset across this planet that you're the reason you're It's your genetics. That's a big lie. Your genetics are waiting to be tapped into. Our genetics are something that is a gift. And, and we've, as the population, as consumers, which have now basically been, uh, nothing more than turned into the product itself for the corporate waste of these multinational corporations. But if you go back and you really look at a nation, if you look at a world before we went into a highly processed, highly commoditized, highly profit-driven food system, you're going to see that the gig is up for them, and that's why this global industrial food shift is happening, and this is why they're going for a one-world food group, and they're going to use climate change. They're going to use basically we got to feed the poor. we got to feed the children in Africa. we got to do all this. So the 8 billion population coming on. Everything that they use is a lie. All you have to do is know how to feed the community in which you reside. If you can do that, As an individual, your whole world opens up to knowing that you are the solution. 
and that it's time to quit circle jerking on all the issues, but it takes the individual to basically be able to accept that fact. And that's why you and I are here, because this is not going to change. They will keep on creating all of these new injectable medicines, and what they are is nothing more than uh, band-aids on a huger issue. And it's, it's up to the individual to understand what food is, what their genetics are, how you can work it within the universe within instead of looking out at the universal external out there thinking that's where the, 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 the solution resides. The solution resi resides in the individual food intelligence that is based on in which the community in which they live. It is so simple, it's complicated. But once again, that exposes yeah. to the individual, you know, that exposes to the individual that, hey, I have to quit relying on so much convenience or saying that basically localized food is too expensive. Show me your pantry and I'll tell you what's expensive. Show me your checkbook and I'll tell you what's expensive. What is value? Well, you know, protecting who you are and your health is your wealth. And I think that's something that we have to fight really hard about because of the social engineering. Whenever you can tell a child that is suffering from fatty liver disease at the age of 12 that it's their fault, it's their genetics, that's where it ends. That's where it stops. And us as basically leaders and every parent out there, if you find that acceptable in the United States that that is now one of the fastest growing metabolical diseases for children, in the United States, then you you are the issue. You are the problem. Because the more that we bring complacency to the children's health across this planet, based on a adult consumer demand, based on an adult consumption model, we are the solution, not the multinational corporations that got us here. Yeah, no, and look, the, this idea of framing it as a genetic problem is infuriating and incorrect on so many levels. And when it's funny when you say to someone, "Oh, you're 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 fat, you're overweight," what they say, "You're overweight because of your genes." Well, it's pretty funny because if you put anyone, or you put these people, these uh, patients on uh, one meal a day of 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 nutrient dense animal protein. Um, with fasting, with some cold exposure, you get them in the sun, you know, it's invariable that they will lose weight, they'll thrive again, and they feel fantastic. So the the, the idea is just so backwards, and, and it really is, uh, is in service of a profit, of profit and a corporate strategy, and it's not in, in service of the truth by, by any means. The, the, the other point that you made that I think I, I, I really want to give some more um, thought to is this idea of collective obligation, individual sacrifice for collective ob or collective duty, and whenever there seems to be something that is convenient and profitable for um, a multinational corporation, then there's a, a, a very very broad call to art, call to action. Uh, across some various various actions, I'm not going to be too too uh, precise, but there's, there's always some massive um, action that we need to take, and it's an individual sacrifice that needs to be made. Whether that's cutting out animal food X, Y, or Z. So, what the point that you made to them is that there's there's going to be a succession of narratives that are going to continue to uh, advocate for people to eat less meat, eat less animal fat, do all these. These these various um, things, but again, it's not going to be in service of that person's health. And until people realize that there's a disconnect in economic incentive between the people that are advocating, the entities that are advocating for these lifestyle changes and these plant-based diets and all the rest, then until that people realize that, I think they are going to be continue to be be a, be a victim of these types of narratives. A hundred percent. And that's that's why, you know, you know, I come from I'm a research analyst. I came from big tech. I come from agriculture and ranching, of course, as far as my heritage, you know, but my professional life it was because of my small town was, you know, being destroyed by the agricultural, you know, explosion that happened. Okay. 
let's look into how we look at food and how we basically even know what food is. It's a marketing plan. And the global marketing plan right now is just like what you brought. It's like, hey, there's a war in beef now. The, the cows are coming out here. Okay, first off, if anybody believes that the car is a carbon hazard, then you are being deceived. It's the biggest lie that's being perpetuated right now. And as you said as well, the individual has to make a sacrifice of eliminating well protein out of their diet. See, that's a prohibition. That's what governments do. That's what the powers that be they they control and they create prohibition to those in which they serve. And once again, if the individual cannot understand that the lie that is being perpetuated in the Western Hemisphere as far as climate change, and we have to go save the planet because the cows are farting, that is, a, that, that is laughable. Once again, though, you have Henry Kissinger in the United States saying back in the 70s, if you control the seed, if you control the food, you control the people. Well, you look at the monetary reset that is going on right now. You look at the industrial food shift that is going on right now. How do you control the people? Well, you control them through food and you control them through money. And if anybody thinks that the that, that inflation that's going on in the world right now has nothing to do with the, actually the industrial food shift that's occurring, once again, you're not paying attention and your perspective is way off. And you need to quit relying on centralized information for your consumption model, be it your audio, your video, or your food. You have to engineer a new protocol of understanding what food is. That's the form of food intelligence that you, the individual, need to create. Look at you and I. The reason you and I met is because of a hashtag called food intelligence. You're a doctor. I'm a cattleman in the United States. We're a generative, basically decentralized food system that we've created within the Beef Initiative. Every individual out there can take the same actions that you and I do every day. You're healthy. Max, I'm healthy. I mean, why are we healthy? Density of animal protein. Once again, it's so simple, it's complicated. You don't have to overthink this. If you want to create a fresh start, just basically uh, turn that food pyramid upside down, take a look in the mirror, and find a protocol that you can live with. And where's your entry point? Sometimes it's a 48-hour bone broth fast. Sometimes it's a consultation with somebody like you, Dr. Max. It's not as hard as people are making this, but we have to make it to where they do have an on-ramp of understanding of perspective in an entry point. If we keep on and just keep on saying that how bad they are doing it, then we're not in the solution. Jacob Wolke, first-generation regenerative farmer in Australia, just killing it. And he's doing it. Why? Because he wants to keep his family healthy. He's not a rancher. He's not a farmer, but he is now because he chose to feed his family in the way that he wants to, not a multinational corporation. And his family is healthy. What else do we need to show people? This is not a genetic problem. This is a consumption problem. Consumption of what? Basically devalued food. That is debased currency that is basically buying debased food. What has happened? What happens to a debased currency? Well, they have to increase profit margins. How do they do that? Increase yields. How do they increase yields? More bioengineering, more chemicals, more pesticides, more marketing plans, and more chemicals to make it taste good. Simple as that. Yeah, it's uh, it's can be somewhat a, tr a triggering topics that we're talking about for people who've never really thought about this. And I'd invite people who are listening to really um, maybe take a moment and consider what um, what Slim is saying and what what we're discussing in this conversation. And rather than feel offended or instinctively repulsed, maybe allow the ideas to sit sit and consider how um, perhaps the process of outsourcing decisions regarding food and health are perhaps leading you in a, in a direction that is not the direction that's in your best interest. And I think it's a great segue, Slim, to 
talk about what people can do because I know sure. you're you're famous for your comment of shaking a, a rancher's hand. And in my clinic, I like to tell people, you know, go and go and meet your farmer because it, for me, I think could be the most critical single act that people can do for their health, for their own health, for their, for the environmental, for environmental health, for their community's health, um, for economic empowerment of their local area is to simply meet a farmer and source their food directly from, from that farmer. So, so pitch us, tell us why we should be meeting a farmer given everything that we've just talked about. Sure. And, you know, I, I came up with a phrase, go shake your rancher's hand. And why did I say that? Well, because that's personal relationship management with somebody that wants to feed you. That's what they do. Let's use Jacob as an example. He lives and dies to feed his community and everybody else that wants to create a market access to his product and his service. Okay. Everybody's going to, and the, the one thing that I get all the time is, this is one of the reasons I formed the Beef Initiative in the way we did, is that, okay, not everybody in, 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 in Australia or in the United States can go shake a farmer's hand or a producer's hand or a rancher's hand. We understand that. But what you can do is you can make an, uh, an intentional pivot, and this is a crossroad. And what you can do is you can go and find somebody, like with the Beef Initiative, beefinitiative.com. You have a searchable index now with over probably about 180 producers in it now. Every one of those producers came in voluntarily. They didn't. I didn't ask them. They don't have to pay money to be in there. We have a free index. We're, uh, in, in, we're expanding the index to have a mapping system, uh, basically a story kit that people can look and really get to know in a more intimate way, the producers. There's means to do this. We live in a digital world. You know, the Beef Initiative was founded so we could create that peer-to-peer access to who who wants to feed you and you, the intentional consumer that wants to establish that relationship. I cannot speak of the volumes of empowerment that you get whenever you create a relationship with somebody like Jacob Wolke. He has a first-rate protocol. If you want to shop at his butchery, well, you have to go do a farm tour. You have to go shake his hand. And what a great way to do that. Once you've shaken his hand, once you've done the farm tour, then you have access to his online 24-7 butchery where you can get your animal proteins and continue the education and continue the relationship. There's so many people on this planet right now because I've seen it. I've traveled around the world. I've been to other countries. I was all over Australia. You know, we I was over in Australia for a month. I've been in Australia. I've been boots on the ground. I've talked to individuals. This is not a problem just in the USA. This is just not a problem in Texas. This is just not a problem in Melbourne, Sydney, all the way up the Gold Coast. This is a national, this is a global problem. And this is what people, once again, perspective, if you can accept that this is going to unfold, then you're going to basically create a new lifestyle. And this is the best way to do it is relationship management with those people in your communities that want to feed you. And if you cannot get market access in flesh, in person to those people, I guarantee you, if you reach out to somebody like Jacob Wolfe, he's going to give you tools. If you come to the Beef Initiative, you're going to be able to find anybody that you need that wants to feed you. And this is just not a marketing plan. This is not Amazon. This is just not basically an interface surface level uh, system that provide you a box that gets delivered to your door. This is a lifestyle shift and it doesn't have to be daunting. I have not had one person that has come into the beef initiative, a producer, rancher, farmer, or a consumer that has ever left. Once you're in it, you understand what we're talking about. The biggest decision you have to do is just take that first step. How are you going to create a relationship with those people out there that are waiting for you. You know, we're going through asset reallocation. Look what happened in the Netherlands. 3,000 farms are gone forever. 
Does anybody though know that the Netherlands create some of the best produce in the world and they help feed most of Europe? Okay, what's going on in the United States? Asset reallocation. Bill Gates, China, over a half a million acres collectively bought up farmland. We don't have access to that farmland anymore. Okay, centralization and consolidation of our food systems is unfolding. If you are going to be dependent and rely on Bill Gates, other four national, basically corporations and governments dictate to what you will have access to as far as nutrition and health, then I think you're going to be, you're not going to be happy in this life. And this is not a judgment. I tell everybody, day one, get over it. This is about saving children's lives. And if you think the health of the, of our, yeah, I'll speak to the United States. If you think the health of this nation is acceptable, you're wrong. This is a new phenomenon, and it's only happened in the last 50 years. Get your perspective. Understand where you stand within this global industrial food shift that is going towards a one-world food group, and you have to engineer your relationship management with food, with a producer. And that takes intentional living. It takes a pivot in your lifestyle. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Slim. And just as the movement becomes more global, more centralized, you know, as the months and the years um, pass, so is the antidote or the solution that you you are, and I are suggesting is getting even more uh, decentralized and even more individual. It's almost like two polarities that as they as each of them pull further and further apart. The, the solution becomes more and more simple, one of, of individual choice, individual intentionality, um, individual um, and economic decisions. Because as you as you mentioned, it's simply about economically empowering the person that is producing pure food for you in, in a way that is highly beneficial for everyone except those those uh, the multinational entities that would otherwise make a whole bunch of profit. So uh, I think that's that's a f fantastic kind of call to action for people and wake up in many ways because the the fork in the road is really to dis disassociate oneself from any responsibility and continue in an unintentional lifestyle and that pathway is well worn and that pathway is is laid for you and that will involve the consumption of processed foods including vegetable oils um uh uh fake proteins lab grown meats um and other forms of of industrially grown meat with all kinds of chemical contamination and then the inevitable uh visit to your doctor with chronic disease diagnoses and the attendant um list of of medications that manage those chronic diseases, or that the other fork in the road is what we've, we've been talking about, which is intentional lifestyle choice, sourcing pure, fully grass-fed, grass-finished beef from someone who is interested and in in providing you and your family with with high quality food, and then disavowing or, or obviating the need for any form of of chemical treatment because you're simply healthy and well. So uh, I think that's to. to to, to not make it too much of a dichotomy, but I think really that's what it's coming down to. It really does, and that's why we continually say it's so simple. It's complicated to meet most people. You know, we have to have a mindset shift. You know, that's the hardest thing to get people to do. You know, we're complacent. Um, you know, our cognitive dissonance is, is extremely deep these days. You know, whenever you can get, and I tell people this all the time, you know, you look at the marketing plan about, you know, veganism, and, you know, this is being orchestrated because the same people that did the global marketing plan for COVID are unleashing the global marketing plan for the climate change and how they're classifying food now. Okay, you look at the digitization of our consumption model from audio, video, to food, and how they're, you know, I was in Australia, and look how you label your beef in Australia. That is not something that anybody else is seeing. You're a front runner. Okay, your government is a front runner in labeling beef with five different labels that say that it's carbon neutral. It's, it, it, this is a CO2 test. It's grass, you know, it's organic. 
you know, and they just keep on regulating, regulating, regulating. Well, what they're doing is they're turning animal protein into caviar to be able to afford it, or that you're just going to eliminate it because of idealistic reasons that are based on a bunch of deceptions and, and propaganda when it comes to pro, uh, climate change. If you are going to continually to rely on these people to, to, to design your health, then you will come up short. And this is what we have to do is to get people to understand this. And if we can do that, you know, slowly but surely, but with honor, with transparency, authenticity, integrity, I'll tell everybody my why, my mission is to save children's lives. If we don't do something, the health of our nation is done. We don't have to worry about war. They got us. We don't have to worry about anything else. Because if you do not have good market access to the type of proteins and the type of basically truth in food that I have lived in my lifetime, you know, there's no turning back here. And so once again, it's the sovereign individual mindset that gets you there. And if we can collectively do this together and collaborate, then we have the solutions. Yeah. And, and look, I've seen the consequences of uh, of the reduced meat advice that young women particularly seem to be susceptible to. And there's yes. appeals to altruism. There's appeals to this idea that, you know, it's not that women should be eating, you know, salads and, and, and all these kind of subtle narratives that pervade popular culture and if that gets expanded to you know the whole of society shouldn't be eating should be eating very little red meat and people's natural inclination towards um altruism and compassion gets really tugged and their heartstrings get pulled then that's a very insidious way of making people sick because it makes them feel guilty for consuming what their biology needs which is nutrient dense red meat so there, I think if we're, again, if we're aware that these tactics are being employed, then people can um, take steps to uh, educate themselves and um, and make steps towards meeting pe- meeting farmers, meeting people that have their best interests in, at heart. And as you said, this is about helping the children, it's about helping patients, and it's about helping people live the most optimal life. And, and in my clinical experience, a diet that is rich in high quality animal food is uh, is a key part of that. So uh, I think it's a great call and a great wake up call that you're providing Slim for for people. Well, and I really appreciate this. And whenever I first started, you know, I called this the Texas Beef Initiative, and I I had to tell people, you know, up front, and I, I some of my very first podcasts, I said, hey, this is a health initiative. And it's being led by those people that want to give you clean animal protein. This is what people need to understand. This is not a marketing plan. This is an industry shift as they are performing industry shift upon us, that form of prohibition of not giving us market access. Now, you look at you look. Let's look at Australia. Your number one animal protein that Australia produces is lamb. Why are they liquidating lamb? Basically, why is the lamb? Be and consolidated in, in Australia. Where is all that land? Well, I've been into the stores. I've been into the supermarkets. You guys should have a far better selection to animal protein in Australia. Where's that land going? I know where it's going. It's not going to the Australian citizens. It's being sold on the global market to the highest bidders. Australia produces a heck of a lot of beef. Where is all that beef going? I know where it's going. It's going to the highest bidders on the global markets. You're not giving, you're not being given access to a lot of your resources, that a lot of your citizens and your soil and your water are providing your country. Where is your animal protein being shipped to? They're not getting rid of that cow. They're not getting rid of the land. What they're doing is they're not going to give the Western Hemisphere consumer citizens market access. They're going to basically put it on the global market. And basically is where governments are starting to buy in competition for natural resources in which the consumers do not understand that's unfolding. 
Yeah, it's a it's a very complex geopolitical game, and the people are kind of unintentionally can get caught up in in everything. But as you say, if we keep it on the individual level and really think about our, us as individuals and what we can do, then it makes things so much more clear and easy, and we don't necessarily need to to get caught up in in the machinations of of everything and what you said earlier in the discussion slim it it really made me think of a uh i mean a texan cattleman buddhist monk who is uh <laughs> simply advocating for a complete turning of inward it's not about the external world it's not about finding um fulfillment or solution on anything externally this is an internal game that every single person has to um a journey that they have to go on themselves and the outcome of that internal journey will be uh finding a path that that is first in your best interest and then in the best interest of your family and in your community and and outward from there so yeah I, i really love it slim and um Thanks for for coming on and sharing uh, your perspectives. Do you, do you have any final or closing thoughts to share with with people? Yeah, and you know, once again, you know, there in Australia when we had that uh, that summit, that beef initiative micro summit there at Jacobs at Wokey Farms, I get up in front of everybody and I said, "I'm going to live rent free in your head. You're either going to love me or, and I'm okay with that." Because I know why I'm, I know my intelligence, I know our research, we know what happened. And I don't have to, I don't want to apologize for your complacency, not you, but anybody out there that's doubting this. I'm not going to apologize for approaching this. This is years of research. This is unfolding. Everything that I was writing three years ago is coming true right now. And once again, I'm here to save children's lives. And if you can understand that you do not have to be so confused, that you basically, we as humans right now are looking for a different form of interaction with each other. We're trapped in a digital, basically, algorithm that's making us feel alone. It's basically separating us from ourselves in a way. We have religion of self now. We don't know thyself. You know, and our friend Izzy talks about that all the time know thyself and and it's so true it's okay to basically start over it's okay to pause there are solutions out there and we have so many testimonies from people that have done the simple little actions that we're talking about today and it saved their lives i had i met somebody in boston it was a couple and they weren't going to have children they weren't their metabolical health was compromised well they heard one of our podcasts they changed their consumption model. They now have a baby girl. That baby girl is being raised with protein, number one. And they're all healthy. They're all happy. They didn't change much. They just changed their consumption model. And everybody has to remember the reason this happens is because of where we put our dollars. If you take the dollars, your intentional spending, out of this basically complex, they have no power. I tell everybody, quit. If you if you believe that everything that we're saying even isn't truth, which it is, it's all the way true. If you can do that, then basically quit validating the decisions as the individual. Every time you go to the supermarket, every time that you compromise, every time that you go and search for convenience, every time you do not basically intentionally plan your consumption model, you're validating the deceptions. I don't care to validate the deceptions. I will not because I want my son to basically be able to have as much innocence and happiness that I as a child. That's not too much to ask for. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for the children. That it, it's that it matters that much. I don't want children on diabetes. Children shouldn't be on children shouldn't be on antidepressants. Children shouldn't be on all these medications that has just happened in a very short period of time. And, you know, within the Beef Initiative, we go to the Beef Initiative, beefinitiative.com, sign up. We have a newsletter. We have five publications now. And Max, uh, you know, I was talking to our executive producer, June, and, you know, he follows you. He's following everything you guys are doing. This collaboration is ongoing. 
everybody out there, go and sign up, get our newsletters, become part of the collaboration, share it, be bold, step forward, and quit hiding in the shadows of the consumption models. It's a dangerous game right now. And you know, to say and communicate much respect for you guys and everybody in Australia. Miss all guys, I'll be back. Don't know when, but we're going to continue this, and we're going to keep on doing this type of collaboration, communication, education, entry points for solutions. We're just not going to talk about the issues anymore. We're going to pioneer basically a new market access to life, and that's what we're here for. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Slim, and we'll uh, talk again soon. Okay, I appreciate you, Max, and uh, we will uh, we will see you sooner. <laughs> Definitely. We'll see what we can Cheers. come up with. Thanks for listening to the Regenerative Health Podcast. I hope this episode helped you better understand some aspect of improving your lifestyle for optimal health. If you enjoyed this episode, then share it out with friends and family. Leaving a five-star review on Apple or Spotify podcasts also helps spread the message. Thank you and see you next time.